0: If you're a leader, how are you taking care of your people? How are you getting your team through this? And really, what are you looking for as opportunities?
1: I'm here with Dan Mulroy. We know each other from Elite Meet, and before we met, he was in the SEAL teams for 14 years. And after we met in Elite Meet, I just thought he was, Pretty damn awesome. And so I wanted to see if there's any way that we could work together. And we actually started working together at, at uh, my company, Debt Maven. One thing led the next, and eventually we decided to team up and partner. And then I uh, just learned a lot about kind of how he thinks about not just business but the world and how to think clearly. Um, we decided at the end of 2018 to shut down the, the business. And since the end of 2018, he started a successful consulting business. So I thought it'd be interesting, especially given the economic and healthcare context that we're in to hear how he thinks about prioritizing, how he thinks about leadership and how to survive when we don't know if we can. When, when you look at like your life story, it's probably one of the more compelling life stories I've ever heard. Can you? Would you mind sharing that with with people? And because I, I think it could give uh, a lot of hope. And and then we could also talk about what you, the other the other quote that you had about hope. But let's let's start off with can sharing your life story
0: yeah so life story Uh, i grew up outside philadelphia Uh, not typical you know a childhood you know my dad uh, runs his own business he's a contractor uh very successful never marketed ever Um, my mom's a school teacher and i left and went to the navy right after high school uh college was not going to be for me right then i would have wasted four years i would have drank myself into oblivion Uh, so it was the best choice ever uh, I luck got lucky the recruiter showed up at the high school uh, we got to talking. I signed some paperwork he called me that summer and uh, I was shown on college applications and didn't know what to do what I wanted to do so he said hey why don't you come down and see what I have that offer so I did <laughs> and uh, some paperwork later I found myself uh, shipping off the boot camp right after high school And I I went right in to be a Navy SEAL, Uh, incredibly fortunate to have gotten really lucky and found a uh, career or an early career, early part of my life career uh, that I really loved. Uh, I learned a ton through that. I I essentially grew up in the teams. Um, I have a lot of brothers that I respect who are still in. Um, Towards the end of my career, I made the decision to get out, um, mainly because I wanted to have a family. The war was over, and I felt like it was just time to move on and do something else um and interestingly enough uh i'm getting out of the military and six weeks before i'm supposed to leave the military and two weeks actually before my my oldest daughter is born uh i get diagnosed with cancer so you can imagine i'm I'm sitting in my house wait how
1: many weeks before your daughter was gonna be born two weeks so you get diagnosed with cancer two weeks before your first daughter is about to be born and by the way, you're getting out of the military.
0: Yes. Yeah. So no job, no job in six weeks. I have cancer, uh, newborn, packing boxes all around me, still haven't sold my condo uh, down in Virginia Beach. So uh, trying to convince the surgeon to give me surgery before my wife goes into labor. She's, ha- she's having contractions at this moment. So uh, it's, it's interesting though, it's funny what stress can do to you. Uh, and in that moment, my wife is having contractions. She's going through early labor. Um, we finally have cancer and her contractions stop, stop for three days. And it wasn't actually, no, over three days, uh, for like a week. And it wasn't until I had a full body scan and we found out that my, uh, the cancer hadn't spread. I had tongue cancer. It hadn't spread that her contractions actually started again. Literally found the news out. Her contractions started that night. And three days later, she went into labor. We had my oldest. So fight or flight, she, her body was not letting her have that baby, uh, you know, because of the, the perceived threat that was going on.
1: When, when you look at <clears throat> stress, just as in what it does to the mind and what it does to the body, you know, so much of your – career has been spent pushing through stressful moments. What was it like when you went through your first tests? How did you get through those first set of stressful moments in training? And then throughout deployment and through the rest of your career, what are some of these other stressful moments and how did you get through that?
0: Look, I think... You get a little bit of inoculated to stress. It's like for anybody who's tried to wake up early in the morning, that first time is really hard. It never actually gets completely easy, but you kind of build the muscle memory of how to do it. So over time, you get inoculated with stress. You get used to it. Um, You learn to be mindful of what's going on in your body when it happens. So for me, when I get stressed out or I I get like focused or tense, I feel my shoulders pull up right? I can feel my, my, my brow kind of go like this. And I have to just, I, I feel that I catch it. And I'm like, all right, just relax, take a breath and just relax. Your body's going to hold that stress, that energy somewhere. And you got to like find out what it does for you. And that's your first thing. You have to be mindful of it. You have to realize what's going on. That's until you do that, you can't recognize it, right? You can't recognize that it's affecting you. So number one, recognize it. And then you have to do something. Um, in BUDS, it's really easy. You, you just do the next thing. Uh, what I, what I would say is, is look, the mental stress that goes on in BUDS, um, one evolution, every evolution in BUDS is not that difficult, right? The four mile time runs, the, the, the two mile ocean swims, the time standards are not that difficult by themselves, right? The surf torture is not that bad by itself. Anybody can do any of these things for an hour. However, You add them all on top of each other and it's that stress that builds and builds and builds. And for the person who's not able to separate, Oh no, I have to do this today. I have to do this tomorrow. I have to do this next week. I have to do this for the next six months. No one can deal with that. No one can handle that amount of pressure and stress. So you have to stay very focused in the moment and just get through the next hour. I'm just getting through this evolution. I'm just getting the lunch and that's all you do day in and day out. So today, COVID, you're a business owner, you know, your m a your, you know, your PE fund or wherever that is, you just need to focus on what you're doing today. You can't focus on what the market's going to do on Monday, right? What the jobs number is going to look like next week or the end of April. You, you can't do that. You just got to make the decision today. I'm going to focus on what I can control today. That's it. That's it. You know, the, the stoic belief of, hey, hey, or uh, I guess it's Shakespeare, Right nothing good or bad ever happens it, except what you say is, is I'm going to screw the quote up, but that's it, right? Like it's, it's your reaction to those things and how you think they're good or bad. that just really affects you. Man.
1: When So a lot of the audience, uh, in for the investors and operators podcast is, you know, probably principal level to partner level. Um, so they've been through multiple stresses, um, mm-hmm. Can you talk about maybe mid-career or late career, that part of the, the stressful situations that you might have been in? I assume like you, as you went later in your career, there are different types of stresses and they're more dynamic, which is similar to what partners in private equity or MDs in an investment bank or partners at a law firm might be going through. So
0: I think there's, there's two kinds of scenarios I want to talk about, or two concepts and one of them has two scenarios. So overseas on deployment, And I think SEALs are very fortunate in that we generally control the narrative of when we're going to do an operation, right? We're picking the time and place. Generally, we're picking the operation, what we're going to do, the tactics we're going to use, and we're setting uh, the offensive, right? We're going to go and target the compound and target the individual that we're going after, whatever it may be, right? So we set all those parameters. So we're taking the offensive. We're taking the action. I got to be honest, in those situations, there's not a lot of stress that goes on. You're just doing your job. Yes, it is stressful, blah, blah, blah. But what is more stressful? So I had a deployment when I wasn't doing that nature. I was actually going, I was in a a foreign country, and I was training a local uh, special operations folks uh, for the the nation, right, for that country. And we were targeting uh, some Al-Qaeda folks in the the city, in the region, and trying to get them on operations. Well, I'm living in a house. Me, one other SEAL, and a radio guy. I'm not setting the parameters of this. I'm just waiting to get target, targeted, right? So, you know, there was one night in particular, I woke up in the middle of the night to what I thought was fireworks. I tried to convince myself that they were fireworks because you hear fireworks a lot, you're gunfire around the city a lot. And then the second time I heard it, like, nope, that's an AK. And it sounds really close. Um, so I go outside my room, I look at the security cameras, and I realized in that moment my security cameras are on my compound wall facing inward, <laughs> not facing outward. <laughs> Right, I found out later uh, the local neighbors complained when they were facing outwards that we were like watching them, so they wanted they, we had to turn them around. So, but all I see on this on the security cameras, I sit and I see muzzle flashes reflecting off of my building, <laughs> of my of my three story house. I'm like, oh no, that's not good. And I was like, well, this is happening, cool. And that, you know, and then like it, it ends up being there's a wedding next door, and the guy goes outside and shoots his AK off in the air. But you don't realize that, right? Like I creep up to the, the, the top of the roof. Standard
1: wedding procedure.
0: Right. I, you know, I, I creep <laughs> to the top of the roof. I have my kit on, my night vision, uh, my gun. And I like creep over to the edge. And I see my security guard, is a local, just running around with, like a chicken with his head cut off. He's going to be totally useless. Uh, and then I'm like scanning. And I, I don't see anything. I'm like, what is going on? Like, and, then I, and then I see it. And I see two cars doing donuts in this a cul-de-sac next to my the compound wall. And I'm like, and a bunch of people walked outside the house, you know, shouting and joyful. I'm like, you, Ugh. yeah, couldn't sit there But long story short, in that moment, in that deployment, I didn't control the narrative. I was waiting in a defensive posture for something else to happen. And what that really means is, is that if you can control the narrative, you can control that a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Right. You're just oh, that's so that.
1: important right now for private equity that is fighting a losing battle currently with getting uh, you know relief from the stimulus package. And that just is so important to the context now of controlling the narrative. And in this sense, like controlling the narrative in a positive way on how they're working with their portfolios and going on the attack mm-hmm. and being proactive about it. Um, so, how, you know, when you went to, you know, as you were getting out of the military and, you know, went through this health scare with yourself, I mean, surviving cancer, like, what was going on in your mind? How the hell did you do it?
0: Uh, I'll be honest, I lost it a little bit. Um, you know, you, you start to ruminate on the worst case scenario. I had gotten to the end of my career, and the lesson I pulled from this is called the disease of success. And in my mind, disease or success is a disease which kind of infects your mind and makes you forget what it took to get you there in the first place. And the problem with that is it's not that you become successful. It's that you get comfortable in that success. I got the end of my career as a Navy SEAL. I got this. I'm good, right? I'm going to pull all these learnings that I learned brought with me. They're going to be natural. They're ingrained. And you forget that really they're not. Um, you're going to forget them. So you have to approach every new instance with that same fight, that same vigor. Uh, and I got diagnosed and I, I ruminated the worst case scenario. Uh, you know, like who going to walk my unborn daughter down the aisle or wedding? am I going to make it? I don't know. It's incredibly scary. Um, and then you, f- I finally remember that thing and I, I caught myself. I think my wife actually helped me pull me out of this. And it was just like, no, I'm going to do everything I can under my, under my power to control this narrative. I'm going to change my diet. I'm going to do intermittent fasting. I'm going to fast. I'm going to do all these things that I can do. I'm going to push to get the scan, right? I got, I'm going to push to get extended to the military so I can get treatment. I'm going to change this. And I ended up getting extended for, for an entire year. I ended up getting medically retired from it um, because I took the offensive. Um, I was lucky my wife really pushed me in a lot of those things and, and gave me the reminder uh, that I had to do that but I think the biggest key is is you have to approach every new instance just because you went through 08 just because you went through 01 does not mean that you are gonna remember how to do this now so if you rest on your laurels because you made it through 08 you're, you're wrong You, you you're not going to make it through this. You got to change the game up. You got to take offensive. And the bottom line is you're either flanking the enemy or the enemy's flanking you.
1: How, okay. Can you talk about that more? Because, you know, so much of I felt my mindset has been um, only take action if I know that I can win. And for the horrible example of playing StarCraft and making that comparable to your... 14 years in the SEAL teams. I mean, it's, it's basically, it's right? Forgotten. Same thing, right? So when I did StarCraft, <laughs> I would only attack if I knew that I could win. And I saw this mentality of when I would play others that they would just keep on attacking with smaller forces or medium-sized forces. And I know that this is a horrible example, but <laughs> it goes into a mentality that I've seen of how do I get what, you were telling me earlier about shoot, move, and communicate. Um, like, how can you go on the offensive when it feels like everything's coming at you?
0: So shoot, move, and communicate, it's like the baseline of what a Navy SEAL does, right? You shoot when you see a threat, you move to your harder target, and you communicate with your team. What you have to do in that moment is give yourself the time and the, the, the breath to catch your, the time to catch your breath and take a step back and analyze the situation. So for us as Navy SEALs, it's really easy because we do a bunch of training. So we get in this situation and we have this, all this training to back, back up, uh, fall back upon. Right? So the analogy I'll use is um, when you're shooting someone, we have, we, we go through and we just practice how you raise your gun up from low ready, which is all the way down, like pointing to the ground up to one shot. Right. And do that thousands or tens of thousands of times to make it as fast as possible right? Same thing, gun from the holster, right? Really, hey, cool, you're practicing that, that process, but what you're doing is buying time, so that when you're faced with a situation in combat, you don't have to think about how you pull your gun up, right? You can do it as fast as possible, and you've bought, your, that, bought with yourself that time, where I don't have to use the mental capacity to think about lifting my gun up. I just do it, and I, I can then think in that time, right? So for you as an operator or as an investor, you have your investment criteria you've built out all these systems and processes ahead of time, fall back upon them. Give yourself the time and slack to assess those systems and processes. How do you operate a bus- as a business? Are they working? Continue on. Fix them if they're not. And then continue on into what you're doing. Um, but you have to give yourself that, that breathing room and that, and that the framework or structure and processes to fall within so that that's what guides you. You're not just out in the wilderness making decisions on a whim uh, emotionally.
1: One of the other things that you were talking about is have hope
0: in losing all hope. I have this view that there's hope in losing all hope. Um, and this came to me, I was, I was a SEAL, I was laying in the cold surf, throwing buds. And I, I realized that there, in a moment, if you were thinking about being warm, uh, being dry, having a hot cup of coffee, whatever it may be, that that comparison between the hope of being warm and the reality of being freezing cold and miserable made the reality that much worse. But if you lost hope of being cold and you just focused on being present in the moment and realizing, you oh, know, this is this is what it's going to be, two things happen. A, the cold isn't as bad because you can't hurt me anymore. The instructors who were doing this to me, you can't you can't hurt me anymore. I'm already cold and miserable. You already made me take. You know, my, my shirt off, in this cold surf. Like, what else are you going to do? Leave me here longer? No, you're not. The second part of that is once I lose hope of being warm, I gain that mental capacity back that I've been spent on on hoping, and I can focus on what's around me, right? I can focus on the guys around me. How can I help them? Um, so you gain that back. So to me, uh, you got to lose hope of of hey, I I hope this is just going to end, right? And we'll go back to normal. If you're hoping that's going to happen, it's not going to, and you're going to be stuck, you're going to fail. So you have to let go of that. Focus on what you can control now. You're stuck in the cold water. Stay there.
1: And then, so is it a a process of first lose hope, of false hopes, accept reality. Once you have reality accepted, then you can get back to having hope?
0: You can, you can do it at night. No. How do you
1: balance that fine line between accepting, your, accepting reality and then figuring out how to have the situation improve?
0: You can, you can always hope for better. You can always hope to be warm. You can't wait to be warmer. You can't wait for the market to go back. But you can't allow that hope to affect your ability to, to make decisions today, right? So in the moment, folks in the moment, you can have the hope that's fine but if that hope's affecting your ability to make decisions or act that's when there's a problem um, so i personally i think you should always just stay present in the moment and deal with what's going on stay in reality don't live in dreamland don't live in the hope of something
1: when when you look at the work you're doing with clients right now how what kind of conversations are you having you know f- first off can you Can you say kind of what you do, what's the name of the company, and how long you've been around, and what are you doing right now with your clients?
0: Yeah, so the company is 373 North. Um, So it's been around for probably a little over a year since we, you know, closed down Debt Maven. I I call myself a leadership and business coach or consultant. And conversations are on one end, very zoomed in, micro what are you doing on a day-to-day basis, right? How are you controlling your situation? What does your day architecture look like? Hey, are you still getting your workout in? Um, if you, you're working from home and you got kids, how are you managing that? How are you, uh, you know, are you still getting up at time? Or are you being lazy and because you're at home, you can sleep in? What's your diet look like? How can you create patterns and routines, creatures of habit? How are you dealing with that in the moment? That's kind of the, the, the zoom in, the micro, right? And then zooming out, the macro, how are you, if you have a team, how are you managing your team? How are you ensuring that you're getting everything you can out of your people? By extension, what's their day look like, right? Or do you have a 9 a.m. stand-up call so that everybody has their start time for the day, right? So that they have something, a routine that they can look forward to. What's that look like? And then hey, your, perspective, your perspective on these things. Uh, How are you viewing? this? How can we kind of probe this? If you're stuck inside a box, how can we pull you outside of the box? How can we, you know, if you're in a fishbowl uh, full of water, how can you start to see the fishbowl you're in to see the problems that are around you so you can start attacking them? And then in addition, the next follow on is what are the opportunities out there? Um, How do we, how do we find those opportunities for you your team? Um, Or how do we set your team so that they can start finding the opportunities?
1: Let's go back to this thing that we were talking about, about the story that we were writing. Right now, when everyone's in crisis, relationships, personally, professionally, are going through huge periods of test. You know, what is one of the things that you like to discuss with your clients?
0: You can look at what's going on in one of two lenses. Hey, this is happening to me. I can't control this. There's nothing I can do. Or this is an opportunity. I can test my team, I can harden their resolve. I can test my relationships, my marriage. I can see, hey, is this really gonna work, right? If we can make it through this, we can make it through anything, right? So how am I framing that? How can I how can I do all of those things? How can I better my company? I saw somebody said that you know, they're not thinking about renewing their lease in San Francisco and they're gonna save 10 million a year by doing so. Because hey, it works from home, it's working great. So what I mean by that is, you're writing your narrative right now of what you've done or did during COVID-19. You're going to write that story today. So in five years from now, in 10 years from now, somebody's going to ask you, what'd you do? You were successful. You made it through. How did you do that? So the question you have to ask yourself on a daily basis is what do I want that story to be? And how do I live up to it today?
1: That's so important, especially for, right now when it's so easy to be very inwardly focused or focused on my needs my family and it's so easy to say i can't i don't have time for this right now these are when the strongest relationships are formed and built or torn apart because people realize it's transactional and it's not a long-term relationship
0: this is this is the time when True leaders earn their paycheck. Everybody can be a leader, a business owner when times are good, right? It's easy.
1: What do you think that leadership means?
0: So the quote that I love about leadership—it's—I'm um, not going to try to attempt his name. He's a great philosopher. It's, it's about combat. So, out of every 100 men which pertain to combat, 10 shouldn't even be there. 80 are just targets, and nine are the real fighters. We are lucky to have them for they make the battle. Ah, but the one, one is a warrior and he will bring the others back. To me, that warrior is a leader. And the the leader's job is to make the 80 fight like the nine, right? A leader's job is to influence the people around them. A leader's job is not not there to do the job. A manager's job is to control, right? Their job is to make things happen. A leader's job is to influence the people who are doing the job. Uh, so to me, it's all about how, how you as a leader influence the people around you. And the second part of that is the leader doesn't, isn't supposed to know where they're going specifically, right? I think that's a fallacy. People think the leader should know exactly where we're going. Um, they should be out in the front leading from the front. I, I don't know that I agree. I think a leader should be the person who sees the entire battlefield. And by seeing the entire battlefield, they can ensure that they don't get flanked. No one's coming around them. They can see the opportunities that are presenting to themselves. If they're too in the weeds, they can't see what's happening in the peripherals. They get so focused on what's going on. So they need to step out of it a little bit to see the entire battlefield so they can make those those calls. And they can rely on their the, the lower level managers um, to, make, you know, to make those decisions on the, the small things.
1: So, Dan, you know we've covered a lot of ground today. Is, is there a – final thought that you kind of want to leave with the audience?
0: You know, I think the final thought just goes back to what are you doing today to write your narrative, right? How are you, if you're a leader, how are you taking care of your people? How are you getting your team through this? And really, what are you looking for as opportunities? If you're an individual, how are you going to stand out in this? How are you going to step up and use this as an opportunity to prove yourself?
1: All right, there it is. My man, it is awesome to have this wonderful Zoom meeting with you. We're keeping more than our six feet of distance. (laughs) All right, talk to you soon.